Welcome to the University of Washington's Political Economy Forum. We bring together diverse scholars, policymakers, and citizens to discuss current public policy issues, to inform the public about them, and to find evidence-based solutions. Feel free to visit our website at uwpoliticaleconomy.com. We publish new episodes of this podcast every week. If you have questions or suggestions for discussion topics, please contact us on Twitter at ForumUW or email us at uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicolas Wittstock, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Jorge Rojas Vallejos. Uh, Jorge is professor at the School of Economics and Business at the University Andres Bello in Chile. Uh, Jorge is also economic advisor in the Chamber of Deputies of the 2022 National Congress in Chile. And today we are discussing the profound political reforms Chile has undergone in recent years. Uh, Chile is currently attempting to write and pass a new constitution for the second time in just a few years. And Jorge is going to help us all to make uh, a little bit more sense of what's going on. Hello, Jorge Rojas Valleos. Uh, hi, Nicolas. Very nice to have you on. Jorge, you uh, recently wrote a blog post for the Political Economy Forum discussing the recent political reforms in Chile. Uh, could you give our listeners a bit of uh, historical context and um, explanation on the political system and situation of Chile right now? Yeah, well, so we we are experiencing now the effects of these political reforms that took place uh, in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important to, to see that these reforms are coming from a historical background that is related to the political constitution that we have in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And this political constitution was written under the dictatorship of General Augusto Pinochet. And it was a, a constitution that attempted to create two major blocks yeah, two coalitions uh, in order to provide some stability, also over representation of the right wing in Congress. But what we have now is a more diverse and inclusive Congress that we thought it was a good idea and it, we were going to get uh, better outcomes and welfare improving policies for everybody. But we're, we're seeing that this is not exactly what is happening. Uh, so why uh, we made all these reforms in, in, in 2017. So there were some events that, that were very important. So the first of them was that the political parties were receiving money from big corporations. And that was not regulated at the time. So political parties can receive money from big corporations, but it was not illegal, but was not legal. It was simply not regulated. So the problem was that there were some uh, corporations that were funding uh, basically almost all the political parties from, from left to, to right. And some of these uh, companies were related to las, the most important families in Chile. Uh, and one of them, SQM, that is a mining company related to lithium, was directed by the son-in-law of former dictator General Pinochet. Mm -hmm. So that created, you know, a momentum for some reforms that the radical left were asking for over 27 years. So mm -hmm. in the 90s, we, we got this political system. And only after 25 years, we had the conditions uh, to 
promote these political reforms. And so the, the center left, uh, in, at that time, the La Concertación of Paris for Democracy, they supported these ideas. And given the uh, political discontent, discontent of the people, uh, the right wing had no other choice uh, to accept these reforms in order to clean the way that Paris uh, were funded uh, and also the way that political campaigns were funded. Mm -hmm. So the first important set of reforms were related to uh, how Paris and how political campaigns were going to be funded. And then we, we have the other reforms associated to the electoral system. Got so the, we, we used to have this binomial system where it was very hard for either of the two blocks uh, to control uh, Congress because in order to get more representative, you have to get 66% of the voting. So for example, if in a district or territory, you choose uh, three candidates, in order for you to, to choose two, you have to get 66% or more. If you got 65, it was one and one. So one from the left and one from the right. So the, there was always a group that was a little bit overrepresented. And this group was the traditionally, most of the time, uh, the center right. Uh -huh. And after these reforms related to funding, we also have some reforms related to the uh, political system. And we move from the binomial system to the proportional inclusive uh, electoral system. And all this happened because, I mean, the concertation of Paris for Democracy was in government for over 20 years. So the coalition uh, was a little bit tired of governing. There were a few scandals related to corruption. So the radical left, basically, and mainly the Communist Party, uh, started to negotiate with the center left in order to win the presidential elections because they have a very small percentage, something like between three and 5%, but it was very determ determinant uh, in electing the winner. Mm -hmm. so, so that was the way that they started to push for these reforms uh, to try to get back in Congress because they haven't been in Congress since the 70s. Got it, okay. Interesting. So could you elaborate a little bit more on what exactly the mechanisms were of the um, constitutional system as well as the or the electoral system set up by the constitution that was implemented? So in what ways was it essentially enshrining a two-party system that was forced to uh, create coalitions? Yeah, so basically we have this uh, political constitution from the 80s that attempted to overrepresent uh, the, the right wing. And the argument was this provide uh, stability, yeah, political stability that then went into economic stability. Sorry, but um, so, so how exactly would this create stability? And what do you mean by that? So what I mean is that you have two main uh, coalitions mm -hmm. that they were different in some aspects in economic terms and like individual freedoms, but uh, they share a, a lot of the ideas about market. So there was no populism in economic terms. 
So both coalitions were very uh, responsible about economic policy. And also there was no such a big polarization. Uh, there were many uh, people that were willing to, to talk with members of the other coalition. Uh, so you can reach agreements uh, after a, a reasonable period of time. Something that, that we don't observe when you have more groups. And, and this is natural because if you have two major blocks in Congress, mm -hmm. it's easier for them uh, to discuss different ideas. But if you have something like that happened today, that you have five uh, major political blocks, right. and each of these blocks have like 10 parties, and, also, and, and we will discuss later that basically if you have one popular leader, you can have an additional party, political mm -hmm. party. So it's like there are as many parties as political leaders you can you can you can have mm -hmm. and and that is not uh, that makes reaching agreements uh, a lot more difficult Got so it. when you have two groups discussing over a, a, an issue it used to be like after two three months of discussion you can reach an agreement mm -hmm. but now you have 20 different groups organizing different coalitions that they are not very disciplined with their own coalition mm -hmm. and you can have one or two years discussing an issue and still not get an agreement. So yeah, the, the constitution in the 80s uh, provided the framework that the parties have uh, to reach an, an agreement. Uh, otherwise, you can not get elected. So there were a strong incentive uh, to be disciplined as well because the, the importance of the political party was extremely high. But now it's more important to be uh, popular and to be known by the people. So if you are an influencer with 100,000 followers, probably you can get elected into Congress. Hmm. Uh, something, and the parties have all the incentives for for the uh, the parties have all the incentives to provide the spot for you to run. Got it. All right. So basic idea being, if you have a binomial system, parties are in some sense uh, going to move to the middle much stronger and are, as a result, just naturally going to have more overlap or agreement and um, are, as a result, at least presumably most of the time, going to be able to govern more effectively. Whereas if you have a polarization or, or um, uh, let's say, uh, maybe atomization of the uh, political party system where parties uh, represent all kinds of different relatively idiosyncratic groups, it, it might become a lot more complicated to, to reach agreement or reach some sort of majority along these very um, small parties that tend to be quite uh, far away from each other in terms of their ideal policy position on whatever issue. Um, all right, so that makes sense. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, it seemed like um, this uh, two-party or, or dominant two-party system wasn't necessarily creating a particularly great outcomes overall. You mentioned instances of corruption, general discontent with the um, with the outcome, the political outcomes of those parties. So, so how did we get there? Yeah, so it's true what you say. There were there were some corruption corruption scandals, mm -hmm. uh, but for example, if you look at the macroeconomic variables, uh, we were experiencing like economic growth, like very. Uh, systemic economic growth around like three four percent per year uh, so that was a, a, a very good outcome uh, we also have like increases in productivity mm -hmm. uh, we we 
we used to have like a low uh, unemployment rate, uh, but we have this corruption that was natural after like having a coalition running the country for over 20 years. And what happened is that this radical group, uh, the Communist Party in particular, but there, but there were others with no communist affiliation, but they seated the, the uh, they put themselves into the into the left wing uh, spectrum. So they have an idea from the '90s actually that was to change the the constitution, mm-hmm. but because of the political system at the time, they were not in Congress. So, but they existed. So they they have like some protests uh, from time to time but they were not they didn't have political representation in congress mm-hmm. and they and after this uh, coalition uh, la concertación started to have all these problems uh, started to lose popularity among the people because of the uh, the, the big corporations funding the political parties and the political campaigns uh, all of them yeah most of them also because of the uh, corruption scandals of money that was uh, taken from uh, government spending. Uh, it was not much, you know? I mean, we are not talking about like high levels of corruption, but there there, there were some corruption. Sure. But it wasn't like uh, at the level of you can find in, in Argentina or other Latin American countries. But because we didn't like that, because we have a, a high standard for our politicians, uh, we started to push for this political reform that we consider necessary. Okay. You have some corruption scandals. There are some questions about how campaigns should be financed, to what extent it is kosher that certain um, industry groups or, or, or companies, rather, are seem to be having very close relationships with um, the dominant political factions. And now the idea is presumably, as, as, as you were saying, um, we should institute reforms to try to um, cut out those um, perceived corrupt relationships, as in we are assuming that this is effectively um, keeping politicians from implementing policies in a way that would be welfare enhancing for uh, the greatest number of people. Um, you can call it the public interest, I suppose. Uh, rather, what we are suspecting is happening is that these parties are in, in, in some way captured by dominant uh, economic interests and are primarily implementing policies that are favoring them rather than the majority, I suppose. So if we can somehow institute uh, reforms that keep these economic interests from influencing politics in the way that we perceive them to be doing then presumably we would get better economic outcomes for everyone as a result of that, because we would have politicians that follow an electoral connection that then forces them to to to, to implement policies that are ultimately welfare enhancing for a greater number of people. Yeah, so what you're saying is is uh, one of the, the big uh, themes that, the, that some groups uh, promoted that was the discussion about income inequality. Right, okay. So... So because uh, when you look at the macro numbers, the macroeconomic numbers, it's like we were having good economic growth, productivity, mm-hmm. low unemployment. The inflation was not a problem after, you know, having a 500% inflation in the 70s. Right. So we were we were down to 2-4%. So things at the macro level uh, looked good. Mm-hmm. But we have this uh, income inequality problem 
uh, about the, you know, looking at the Gini coefficient or other measures of income inequality, uh, we have that depth with the with the people in the country. Right. Uh, so yes, people wanted to to have a more equal society, uh, and and we thought that with ch changing the way that political parties and campaigns were were funded, uh, and also how the changing the electoral system to have a, a better representation of the different political views in society, we were going to have an improvement on. Uh, we were going to alleviate, see, yeah. uh, income inequality. However, so when you, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Just before before we get to what happens next, when you say people wanted this change, how exactly was this uh, expressed? Right? If you say that at the time, presumably the political system was still set up in a way that was favoring the major two political factions that you were describing. So, so how exactly were people exercising this demand for some sort of reform? Yeah, that's because a great the, question. The reason why I'm asking is because. Um, the, the reforms that you're describing, which are on the one hand uh, changes to the to campaign financing, and the other one being a complete overhaul of the way in which um, votes are translated into political representation, ultimately serve to dr dramatically undermine the political influence of the two parties uh, that you've described so far. And and the reason why that's significant is that you know political actors typically do not implement reforms that so dramatically curtail the political power, so unless they are forced in some way, um, very, uh, in, in a way that effectively gives the, leaves them no other good choice or good other option. So, so I'm just curious, how, how, how was that exercise? Like, how, where did that pressure come from? Yeah, that's a great question, because uh, how people uh, show, you know, their anger uh, against the system, as they say, in 2011, we have what we call the Penguin Revolution, mm -hmm. that were basically high school students uh, protesting every day for several weeks uh, against the, the government because we, we have always seen education as a, as a social mobility tool. So, so students were complaining that there, were, there, there was a, a huge inequality uh, also in education. So in, in 2011, public high school, most of the country, and also some private schools started to protest against the government. It was a, a left-oriented government at that time, Michel Bachelet was the president, and they wanted reform. So the, and, and there was uh, some important reforms that were made, but they were not significant enough, and the results were not what people expected. So in 2015, uh, we discovered these scandals about like uh, corporate money funding politicians. And things got again in the discussion uh, how these families control the country. And there were some groups that were talking about that this country was controlled by seven families. And that started to anger people again. Uh, and and they they felt that the reforms in education were not sufficient, and started to put more pressure on. So some of the leaders or the or, of these uh, protests, student protests, uh, become very popular because they 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 went to different TV shows and to the news and started to talk. And they were some high school students, but there were also some university students, uh -huh. and these university students were very well. 
prepared on different subjects. So they they discuss with traditional politicians and 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 you know and and, and the traditional politicians didn't know how to answer and didn't know how to uh, justify the decisions in the past. So there were a, a group like something like five very popular leaders in the universities that wanted to run for Congress, but uh -huh. the, the electoral system at the time didn't allow it. So the, the left-wing parties uh, said, well, okay, you are not uh, a militant in our parties, but we're going to uh, give you the spot so you can run. And it was this kind of omitted pacto, uh, omitted uh -huh. pact, an, an, om an omission, an omission pact that okay, I'm not gonna run, but you can run alone. So Got that it. was guaranteeing that they were going to win, uh, and and it was that uh, the way that a few of these leaders got into Congress. And once they were in Congress, they started to show all the problems that the Congress had. So the huge, not salaries, but uh, the, the the payments that the representatives get uh, at the time, all the benefits and privileges that the representatives of the lower house and the Senate uh, had. So they, once they got into Congress, they started to show to the rest of the people through social media uh, all the problems uh, that they are wearing in Congress that, you know, things like anger people, uh, they show like the the lunch, uh, so the dinner. Uh, it was like something that was not the average meal uh, for a family. They have uh, drivers. They have a very expensive cars, and they have money for a lot of advisors. And some of these advisors didn't even have a finished high school. Mm. So so all these variables uh, started to promote that people were more concerned about uh, political privilege and therefore mm -hmm. they they could push for political reform for the electoral system. Mm -hmm. So so that was the way that they very smartly changed the binomial system for this proportional inclusive system. And and I I want to highlight the fact that it's inclusive in the sense that for example the list of of candidates have to have a proportion like 60% at most in one gender. In other words, at least you have to have 40% of one gender in the list, something that didn't happen before. And that was, that, that was why the, in the binomial system, uh, most of the representatives were men. Right. But th this is a um, requirement for the list that the party creates, right? This doesn't mean that 60% of the people that are, I mean, ultimately what matters is who's elected. Yeah, right, exactly. But, so okay. it was an input uh, parity, mm -hmm. but not right. output. Okay. Of course, yeah. right? I mean, because at the end of the day, right, the, the, the people that you elect should be uh, the representatives. But okay, but we have uh, input parity uh, on that front because the parties are effectively required to list a certain amount of um, women and men. Okay, interesting. So you're moving then to a proportional representative system. And so this works how now? It's a Congress that is elected on a proportional uh, basis, meaning, and, and how many voting districts are there? So we also, so when we change this, the, the binomial system, we, we also change the territories. So we uh -huh. increase the number, uh, we, we reduce the number of districts before it used to be like two counties, two, three counties together where one district. Uh -huh. Now it's something that 
uh, variates between five or eight counties uh, become one district. But we choose more uh, representatives as well. For example, in, in the lower house, it used to be 120 deputies, and now it's 155 deputies. So you have a larger number of representatives that even if we have a two-party uh, system, uh, it would be harder because you have more people uh, to agree with. Uh, you have to organize more people. Uh, but now is you have more people and you also have uh, more parties and you have more coalitions. So everything is, is harder. And at the same time, this created some degree of polarization mm -hmm. because you have there is so much competition that parties look for specific topics that are popular and not necessarily uh, better. See, for example, we have all right. the situation with the pension reform. Mm. So, yeah, so of we... course. I mean, if you represent more diverse viewpoints as a result of a more proportionally representative electoral system, yeah, you're going to end up with uh, viewpoints that presumably are often much wider apart from each other. As, uh, that, that's polarization, as, as, as you describe it, right? Which which often makes uh, consensus a lot more complicated. Um, yeah, and, and 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 something that I would like to add is that at the beginning you have these two center groups: center left, center right. Mm -hmm. And then the communists were there constantly. Right. And then they started to get elected uh, because of need by the center uh, left. And then because of their own merit, given the change in the political system. And this created that they have now a way to communicate their ideas to the public more massively. Mm -hmm. and, and this, uh, and after like one or two years, they started to promote uh, their communist ideas. Some radical right-wing groups started to, to show up, like a reaction, like a natural reaction to, to this uh, radical left. Uh, so that's very interesting because we didn't observe like very conservative right-wing groups until we started to see the, the radical left-wing groups. And, and this collapse in the in the social uh, unrest we have in year 2019. Mm. So in, in 2019, we have a social unrest that was very uh, extreme, like for a few weeks where people were looting supermarkets. They, they were burning churches, literally. So they went into different church, mostly uh, Catholic church, because this country is mainly Catholic, uh, and they put fire on them. So they and they loot, uh, they looted supermarkets. They burn churches. They attack uh, police stations. Uh, no, not even the firemen, uh, you know, were able to to contain this. So they were also big victims of of the things happening at, at that time. Mm -hmm. And and it, it was because this, we have this anger against a, against a system that we consider unfair. Although when you look at the data. Uh, the the current generation uh, live way better than the generation uh, the previous generation mm -hmm. uh, but it's this feeling of inequality uh, that drives and 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 if you ask any Chilean we think that we are most one of the most unequal countries in the world and it's true we we are very unequal but we are not the most unequal uh, and 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 we have like good social uh, I mean good standards of living so all these uh, situations created uh, this polarization. So polariz po polarization 
I conjecture that is a result of these uh, changes in the uh, political electoral system. Uh -huh. And also, we have so many political parties because now we have public funding. So if you yeah. are, if you are a leader of opinion and you create your own party because you have to collect uh, you know some support, but but you can create the party anyways at least at the regional level, then you start getting uh, public funding for your party. Uh, you go to the election. You don't elect enough people to continue with the party, so you can create again a new political party. There is no restriction of how many times one person can create a political party. Uh -huh. And then you keep you keep receiving this public funding, so it's kind of a, a entrepreneurship, yeah, you know, to to make a living. <laughs> right. So this being the other big uh, reform that you're picking up on here, which is the reaction to the perception that, well, you know, if it's several economic interests that are effectively able to, at least that's a perception, right, to to buy off politicians through um, funding their campaigns, it's not. It wasn't clear to me. So does that mean that private funding for political campaigns is outlawed now? So you cannot privately uh, fund campaigns at all? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, companies cannot do it. Okay. Uh, but, so you're... But, but people can do it and it has to be transparent. So we oh, have okay. to know... So individuals who... can still support political campaigns? Up to, up to some limit. Got it. But now the important change being that you now get public funding for as soon as you um, uh, form a political party or only if you exactly. receive a certain amount of representation so as 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 soon as you con uh, as soon as you constitute the political party you get the funding associated to the party that got the a small number of votes okay so uh, as soon in as the you previous receive, election got it so as soon as you receive some representation you're effectively entitled to money exactly okay and um yeah, I guess it's not that much of a surprise that as a result, you see a lot more political parties forming, which presumably is at least in part the intention behind this reform, right? We, we yeah, want exactly. more you political want competition, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You wanted to have more political competition, and that's why we also move uh, from the compulsory voting to voluntary voting. Mm -hmm. But now we're moving again. We're moving back to compulsory voting. So, so we, uh -huh. we used to have a, a compulsory voting, then we changed it for voluntary voting, and now we're changing it again for compulsory voting. Mm. Because also, uh, people were so disaffected of politics that radical groups, given the voluntary voting, started to have a, a relative more a more relative importance because most people were not caring about the political system under this view that politicians cannot uh, change their lives so they don't want to go to vote mm. uh, and, and radical as small well organized radical groups were able to constitute these parties and to get people elected because they 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 participated more uh in in the political arena so so that's that's another reform that we we made and now politicians are changing back because uh, they are thinking that it's a right to vote, but it's also, you know, a duty to vote, mm, mm. Uh, to provide like a better representation of the of, of the views in society, rather than allowing radical groups to overrepresentate their views in Congress through uh, their their vote. 
because you know, I mean, if if fifty percent of the people are not voting, then the winner with twenty six percent is really representative of of the ideas in society. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier, and that um, you know, people are dissatisfied. But on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the situation was as dire as people may have perceived it before the reforms. It it seems to me that I feel like there's always good reason to be uh, dissatisfied with, with, with pretty much any political system, right? However, I think the important thing to realize is that not any change is necessarily um, in a positive direction, right? So you can you can have a situation that you feel like did you feel like is deeply un unjust or unproductive or whatever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that any deviation from that status quo is going to put you into a better direction, right? So, which then ultimately um, opens up the the complication of trying to be extremely strategic and clever about the kind of reforms that you institute, because there's a very real chance that you actually end up making things worse. It, what, what is your evaluation at this point? Um, and, and, and what... To what extent are you optimistic about potential modifications to the reforms that have taken place so far that would take uh, Chile into a better position ultimately, right? Because at the end of the day, I feel like the um, dissatisfaction with the fact that you have a very rigid political system that does seem to be very uh, cozy with uh, dominant economic interests that spend an enormous amount of money uh, on their political campaigns does seem to be a situation that isn't ideal and um, should likely at least uh, give you pause for concern of how to improve upon that system. And having the um, momentum to actually institute reforms typically, I feel like, suggests to me that reforms are necessary, right? Um, but now, of course, you have to figure out how to channel that energy into something that is actually a Pareto improving. So, so, so how do you make yeah. that happen, right? So it seems like right now... Um, an optimistic spin would be to say that Chile is, is experiencing growing pains in that process. Yeah, Where do we but go you know, I think, so, I, I think societies learn because, for example, when we have the social unrest in 2019, people were very angry uh, about all the, the, the problems we have about inequality, the, po the political corruption, and so on. And so we wanted like a stronger reform. But after after observing the effects of this reform, uh, people are taking a step back. So they're 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 you know waiting and 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 seeing and and remembering them before things were not perfect, but were probably a little bit better than now. So now they want to go back to implement again some of the good things we have. And to and to avoid the the bad things, you know yeah. the the bad policies. So, for example, now we have this new uh, uh, political process to 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 propose a new constitution. Mm -hmm. So this is the is the second round, uh, as I said, uh, is the second round because we have a first round with one convention, uh, you know, one council of people that were elected to 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 write a draft of the of a new constitution. Mm -hmm. That was rejected mm -hmm. uh, overwhelmingly by the people. Uh, so this draft that was rejected uh, last time, uh, it contains a lot of the things that people were asking. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was giving constitutional rights for to uh, to have health, education, housing, 
many, many, many uh, rights to different things. But people realized that there were so many rights, but there was no way to fund, you know, to right. uh, to fund these rights. And, and people understood that. So they rejected that proposal. Uh, and now we are having another round of elections to to have this council who are going to write a second proposal of a new constitution. And now mo more people, uh, they also want their rights, but they want a, a constitution that is going to be also responsible of, of how we can fund uh, this right, uh, how the government spending is going to uh, occur in order to, to, propose, uh, to implement uh, all these social rights people are asking. And also we have realized that having so many political parties is difficult for democracy to, to achieve agreement. So right. there are some groups that they're proposing some reforms in, in the, in the dire direction of making it more difficult to have a political party. Mm -hmm. So to reduce the number of political parties, probably, probably we are not going to go, uh, to go back to the binomial system. Uh, but we can adjust, mm -hmm. you know, adjust the, the proportional electoral one. So this discussion is happening. So my hope is that the this new proposal for, for constitution, for the political constitution, is going to end up in, in a political system that is going to take the good things of the mm -hmm. old times and the good things of the new times. Because we don't want, you know, a, a political monopoly or duopoly, we, but... We want something that works better and, and that we can achieve uh, better policies in shorter periods of time instead of waiting four or five years uh, to have a policy that we thought was going to be well for improving. And at the end, the situation is, is not improved and sometimes even got worse. So, yes. so yeah, there is there are big hopes on this new... Uh, political constitution process well that's a, that, that would sound great right <laughs> i mean um <laughs> right that you try something it doesn't seem to work well and then you learn and uh, make a new decision and hopefully that works better what are major roadblocks to those kinds of learning processes that you describe what would be the i mean i should have asked this question first right because i don't want to end on a bad note what would be your um concern about um this process going forward so well this process is different to the one we had before with the with the council for to write the the proposal mm -hmm. because before we have uh, the proportional electoral system that we use for the lower house but with output parity mm -hmm. so that distorted a little bit the the democracy uh, so it has to be, uh, the, the outcome has to be at least 60% of one gender. We implemented the output parity uh -huh. because we wanted to uh, give more representation to women that were underrepresented historically. And it happens that two or three women that without that rule should have been elected uh -huh. have, had to give the, the seat to a man because of the rule, okay. <laughs> because we were going to end up with more women than than the sixty percent uh, we defined. So those women that actually got uh, more votes uh -huh. have to go down and and instead put a man over there. Uh -huh. So it was an idea to to get the dif a different outcome, and and we got actually the opposite thing that we didn't want. 
So that was one part of the of the change. And the other one was that people who were independent, in other words, they didn't have affiliation with any political party, uh, they can agree between them to create a list. So you have a lot of radicals without parties that they got together mm-hmm. and because of the system, they could get elected. But if without allowing that, they wouldn't been, they would have been elected at all. Uh, mm-hmm. they, it was not possible for them to concentrate sufficient votes in that list in order to be elected. But in the first process, we allow that. And that's why we got uh, very radical people uh, in in this council to write the constitution. Uh, They were so radical that they thought the communists were not left enough. I mean, they were not sufficiently lefty. Uh, But in this process, now we're using the system for the Senate uh, without output parity, and we are not allowing independents to join together to create a new list. Mm. So that way, the the more extreme views are not; they have no chance in this in this second process. Uh, so that's why I think we're gonna end up with a group of people that are more reasonable, and they can write a very proposal. And also, we have a lot of uh, traditional politicians competing. So. Mm-hmm probably we we can implement the good things of the old times and keep the good things of the new times in the political constitution uh focusing on the political uh political election system and and the funding yeah uh, because there is a consensus that we have way too many political parties and it's not good to have one opinion leader and then and the, and the next uh, month to have a new political party yeah well, let's hope so. We'll definitely have you back once that's passed and we can evaluate what the situation is then. But uh, Jorge or Rojas Vallejos, thank you so much for being part of the Political Economy Forum. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Bitchduck. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we're curious about your feedback And if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns, please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.